following is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Welcome once again. We're so glad you're here this morning, especially if you're a guest with us. Many of you will know that we're spending the month of May looking at the book of Jonah on Sunday mornings. Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets. It's found at the very end of your Old Testament. Feel no shame if you need to look at the table of contents as you find your way to that short book. And you might have grown up in church hearing that the book of Jonah is about a fish. And while the fish looms large over the book, it's a small detail, relatively speaking, when you look at the book as a whole. The book of Jonah is really about something more amazing than a fish swallowing a prophet. You could summarize the book of Jonah with a verse from 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is really what this short book is about, that God desires for all people to come to repentance And he's willing to relent from disaster if people would turn to him. It's a book that highlights the grace and compassion of God who has more love and compassion for our friends and neighbors than we do. It's this grace and compassion that Jonah came to know personally. And it's likely, we mentioned last week, that Jonah is the person who wrote this short book highlighting God's grace and compassion as he reflected back on his life and ministry. And it's beautiful because as you read the book of Jonah, Jonah is painted in a pretty bad light throughout the book. While God's grace and compassion for Jonah and those who don't yet know him is lifted high so that we might marvel at God's goodness. As we pick back up at the beginning of chapter three this morning, we're starting the second half of the book. The last two chapters parallel the first two chapters in many ways. They both begin with a call from God, highlighting God's patience with Jonah, and they highlight God's passion to reach those who don't yet know him. It's a really hopeful message for us this morning. So you follow along as I read Jonah 3 in its entirety, all 10 verses, beginning in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, 
God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Well, this is God's word, and he gives it to us because he loves us, and he wants us to know him. When I say the phrase, second chances, I wonder what comes to mind. Second chances. I wonder if you have a favorite movie or song or book that highlights the importance and attraction of second chances. It would be hard for me to think of a book or a specific scene that highlights the beauty of a second chance more than what we see in the novel Les Mis. And specifically the the scene where the bishop forgives Jean Valjean. You might remember this scene from the book or the play or the movie. It's kind of all over the place. Jean Valjean is released from prison after 19 years and a local bishop takes him into his home so that he can get back on his feet and he cares for Valjean, who's a convict. And one night while the bishop is sleeping, Valjean wakes up and he steals the silverware of the bishop and he takes off into the night. Well, the police eventually catch Valjean and they find the silverware in his bag, which Valjean claims was given to him by the bishop. As you can imagine, the police don't believe a word that Valjean says, and they cart him back to the bishop's home. And Valjean stands there before the bishop and the police, who are just waiting for the word so that they can throw him back into prison for the theft that, um, that the bishop is about to tell them that's happened. Well, they ask the bishop, and the bishop doesn't miss a step. He looks at Valjean, he looks at the police, and he says, Release this man. I indeed gave him the silverware. Valjean, why did you not take the candlesticks also? And then the bishop hands the convict the silver candlesticks to take on his way as well. And those of you that have read the book, you know that these candlesticks become a recurring motif throughout the novel for grace in Valjean's life. They remind him of an amazing second chance. An undeserved second chance. So beautiful. A second chance has the power to invigorate a person. A second chance can put a person on a completely new track in life. We love second chances. We love when we get a second chance medically. Maybe after a diagnosis with cancer, you overcome that disease and experience remission, and it makes you realize what's really important in life, and it helps you appreciate it all the more. We love it when we get a second chance, maybe vocationally. Maybe being afraid of losing that job that you love, but finding out that you're not being let go, and all of a sudden, you work with more passion and more clarity. We love it when we get second chances relationally. Maybe saying something to a friend or a spouse or a parent that should have ruined that relationship, and then getting forgiveness and renewed friendship in return. It's beautiful. We love second chances when we get them morally. Times when you deserve shame and condemnation for what you did, but instead of shame and condemnation, what you find from another person is love and grace, even from those you've offended. It's so life-giving. Second chances. We love them. We need them. It's not being melodramatic to say that second chances can change your life. Well, our passage this morning is really all about second chances. We see through the experience of Jonah that we worship a God of second chances. 
We follow a God who is more willing to extend second chances than we could imagine. And it's good news for us because we often need that second chance and that third chance and that fourth chance and that hundredth chance. The second chances that God extends can invigorate us. It can fuel change in our lives. It can set our hearts on a completely new track. As we look at the passage, we see second chances all over the place in these 10 verses. And we're going to look at three specifics this morning. We're going to see a second chance messenger, a second chance message, and a second chance response. Okay? Second chance messenger, second chance message, second chance response. First, let's spend a few minutes looking at the second chance messenger. You could make the case that the first verse of chapter 3 are some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. What a verse full of grace, especially after what Jonah had done. Remember, Jonah was a religious professional. He was a prophet of God. He knew God. And God asked him to go and to take a message to Nineveh. And Jonah looked at God and said, nope, I'm not going to do that. And so he runs far away as he can get from God. He forfeits his calling. He completely defies and disobeys God's voice. And after that kind of defiance and disobedience that we see from Jonah, we would likely conclude that he deserved to be given up. Just like he gave up on Nineveh, just like he gave up on God's compassion, Jonah deserved to be given up upon. That's what he deserved. But we see that God doesn't give up on Jonah. He gets a second chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This just doesn't seem fair. I mean, shouldn't another prophet get a chance? Surely God has other prophets in Israel that he could send to the Ninevites. Surely God could find someone more faithful, more loving, more obedient, more sensitive to God's voice. But God calls Jonah a second time. And it shows us the merciful heart of God. Jonah gets another opportunity, a second chance. He's tasted God's mercy and compassion and love firsthand in chapters 1 and 2, being rescued from the belly of the giant fish. And now he gets to take that same second chance opportunity, the same one that he received himself to the great city of Nineveh. He's the second chance prophet with a second chance message for people who desperately need to hear it. And you got to step back and consider this. Consider the fact that Jonah, because of what he had been through, was certainly wiser and hopefully a better man. He had tasted a severe mercy from God's hand and it wasn't wasted. It equipped him to take God's compassion and love to Nineveh with more power and more understanding, and more appreciation for the message that he's called to share because he's experienced it himself. God's whole plan to save this Hebrew prophet, to save this sinful man, it was his whole plan to do that and to produce through him and his experience the salvation of many Ninevite sinners. The life experience, and more importantly, the restoration of Jonah was the means for revival in Nineveh. 
The great Puritan John Owen once said, the word can only come with power to our hearers when it has come with power to our own hearts. It's an interesting question to think about what would have happened if Jonah had gone straight to Nineveh the first time in chapter one. We can't really know. But God uses this Jonah, the Jonah in chapter three, after he's been through chapters one and two in a powerful way. His life experience and his understanding of God's grace gave him an appreciation for the Ninevites' condition, and it gave him a true sympathy for them. The book almost leads you to conclude that Jonah needed to be broken and molded and filled with God's love for the lost before he could be any use for God. Broken and contrite Jonah was precisely the kind of man that God needed to use in Nineveh. And it's such a hopeful message for us that God doesn't waste our suffering. He doesn't waste your failures. He doesn't waste your negative life experiences. He wants to use those things for the life of the world. He wants to use those failures, those experiences that you've uniquely had to move out and bless your friends and your neighbors with them. There's a popular story that's being told in business schools these days, and it may be apocryphal, it sounds like it probably is, but it's about Tom Watson, the founder of IBM. And one of his subordinates had made a major mistake, this is back in probably the 1930s, 1940s, that cost the company millions of dollars at the time. And when called into Watson's office, the employee who failed looked at Watson and said, I suppose you want my resignation. And Watson looked at him and replied, are you kidding? We just spent million dollars training you. I mean, no one welcomes failure. It's a painful in the moment. It's expensive. And for us, it's not just monetary. God doesn't waste his severe mercies in our life. God doesn't waste our suffering and pain. The mistakes have already been made. As you look at your past, And the good news is that God can use them for his glory. Jonah is teaching us that you're too valuable with all of your experiences for God to simply let you walk out the door, for God not to use you. In Jonah, we see God take a ruined, broken, failed man and press him back into service. And it's how God works. I mean, think about it. Moses, a murderer. David, an adulterer and a murderer. Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, a murderer. Every one of them. We worship a God who is full of mercy and grace and compassion, not just for others, but for you. And you'll find that you're able to come alongside those who are suffering the same way you have in profound and special ways. Maybe you've experienced a broken marriage. God can use you to come alongside others who may be struggling with their marriage. Maybe you've been through heart-wrenching sickness and disease. God can use you to come alongside those who are fearful and anxious about their own diagnosis. Maybe you're a recovering alcoholic or addict of some sort. God can use you and your taste of freedom to encourage someone who has lost hope completely. And we could go on and on and on this morning. 
Revival came to Nineveh and it came through Jonah, the failed prophet. He was clearly still a sinner and he had many flaws, but God sent him this second chance messenger. And we see that God sent Jonah with a second chance message. It's important to remember some things about Nineveh. We mentioned it two weeks ago. But the people of Nineveh were outside the boundary of Israel. They were a pagan polytheistic nation. They would have been largely clueless about the God of the Bible. And on top of that, they were a country that was known to be brutal and bloodthirsty and barbaric in extraordinary ways. And we also know that Jonah had a nationalistic streak to him. He loved Israel. He was a patriot. And he would have wanted to see the Ninevites judged. He would have wanted them to get exactly what they deserved. That is until he tasted God's mercy and grace in his own life. And now he wants to share that same second chance message with Nineveh, this brutal city full of reprehensible and spiritually lost people. Jonah is beginning to learn that God loves humanity so much that he's angry when sin destroys people's lives. God hates evil and violence because he knows what you could and what you should be. God knows what our neighbors could and should be, and so he hates the sin that oftentimes destroys that picture of flourishing that he has for us. And people need messengers to share this message of hope with them. And the fact that the Ninevites don't have a sense of what God wants for humanity, they don't have a sense of who God is, they don't have a sense of what he requires or how gracious he is, this isn't just a problem found in Nineveh. I mean, it's increasingly becoming true of our friends and neighbors here in San Antonio. We still live in the Bible Belt in many ways, but it's increasingly becoming true that our friends and neighbors don't know the real God of the Bible. Many of our friends and neighbors are increasingly unfamiliar with who he is, and we've been called as his followers to share this news of who God is and his story in this world with them. And notice how Jonah brings this message. He doesn't write a letter. He doesn't send another messenger, maybe somebody that could do it a little better than he could. He brings the message himself with his presence. He walks into Nineveh. It's what we call incarnational ministry. And it's actually a picture of what Jesus did for us, leaving heaven and coming to earth, moving into the neighborhood, so to speak. We're called to move into the neighborhood. We get to know our friends and our neighbors. We're faithfully present in their lives. And we do it for the purpose of loving people through our words and our actions. We don't do it to assimilate. Like Jonah, we should stand out. We should stand out. Our lives should be a light pointing to a different reality in a different kingdom. But we do that while walking among people in close and intimate ways. We don't separate from them. And this allows us the opportunity to see and understand the heart of those we're trying to reach, which is so important because it allows us the opportunity to apply the truth and offer hope to their specific lives and their specific struggles. Like Jonah, we need to be awakened to the needs of men and women who don't know God. We've got to get in the game, so to speak. What if your neighbors need you? 
Surely you've thought about this before. What if you're all they got? What if they have any hope of knowing God and his grace? You're going to be the one to tell them. I realize that may sound overwhelming to most of us. Because if we're honest, we don't really know what we're doing when it comes to being messengers of God's grace. And it's important to understand that it doesn't have to be extravagant. That's one word of encouragement I'd give this morning. I was having lunch with Cabin a few weeks ago who read our New Testament this morning. And he mentioned that it's as simple as remembering a simple word. The word share. Share. We can start there with sharing. We can share our time. We can share a cup of coffee. We can share our story. We can share our table. We can share a meal. We can share our homes. And when the opportunity comes as we're sharing, we can share how we've experienced God's grace and love in our lives in slow but sure steps. Small baby steps. Doesn't have to be extravagant. We can simply share. Notice that the message Jonah delivered was simple. Verse 4 says, He called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, as you read the book of Jonah, it's likely that he said much more than that. This is likely a summary of the message that he brought in greater detail. But it was undoubtedly a direct, simple, and clear message that Jonah brought. Jonah brought a message that the Ninevites could understand. And it's a good reminder for us as we think about taking this second chance message out to our neighbors. It is okay to be simple. It's okay to simply talk about God's love for you. And what Jesus did on the cross by dying for your sins and talking about the offer of forgiveness that Jesus brings if people would just simply believe in him. We should aim for simplicity and clarity with our message. I can't help but wonder how often we confuse people. How often we confuse people with our hobby horses or our political agendas or our theological pet peeves. How often do we try to complicate the simple message of God's love and offer of forgiveness? Don't get me wrong. I love the five points of Calvinism and Presbyterian church government and eschatological views as much as the next guy. And hopefully our neighbors are going to get there too. But they first need to be told that Jesus died for their sins. And that Jesus wants to forgive them. And that Jesus is offering them freedom and joy and hope in ways that they've never experienced before. That's the simple, clear message that we've been given to proclaim, a message of second chances. But it's also important to recognize that Jonah brought a hard truth to the Ninevites. He proclaimed that judgment was coming. That's what it says in verse 4. But he did it with an implicit qualifier. That judgment is coming unless, unless you turn. Jonah warns that Nineveh will be overthrown in 40 days. And Jonah knows something about being overthrown, doesn't he? We read about it in chapters 1 and 2. Jonah knows firsthand that it wouldn't be loving to watch Nineveh destroy themselves. 
It wouldn't be loving to shy away from telling the entire truth of who God is and the judgment that's coming. It wouldn't be loving to shy away from that, that judgment was coming unless they turned to God's compassion and grace. And so Jonah preached a simple message of grace and truth, a message that they needed a second chance, that a second chance was on offer. I've mentioned this quote before, but I love how Blaise Pascal, 17th century French mathematician who came to Jesus later in life, describes our mission of being messengers. He said this, men despise religion. They hate it and are afraid it may be true. And the cure for this is first to show that religion is not contrary to reason, but worthy of reverence and respect. He says, make it attractive, make good men wish it were true, and then show that it is. That was Jonah's call. And that's our call too, to make good men and women wish it were true, and then show them that it is. To be messengers of this second chance message. And now, let's turn and spend our final few minutes looking at the response that this second chance offer received. We see the response to Jonah's message begin in verse 5, and really it covers the rest of this short chapter. Jonah's message was blessed with power. His words pierced the Ninevites' hearts. They recognized the voice of God through Jonah. They were convicted and convinced of their spiritual danger. And it's good for us to remember that this was a work of God. Anytime our neighbors respond to our message, anytime our neighbors come to know their sin, to know God's love, to turn to Him, it does not happen because of your amazing words or your amazing giftings. It doesn't happen because of our airtight apologetics. It doesn't happen because of our deep expressions of compassion and care ultimately. God can use those things, but ultimately, This kind of fruit has to come from God's spirit at work in our neighbor's hearts. It's a work of God, and we should pray for it. We should pray for God to be at work in our words, in our actions, in our love. To Jonah's surprise, you've got to think he was surprised. The Ninevites didn't laugh at his message, and they didn't try to harm him. They actually responded to his preaching. They repented, they turned. It's a word that occurs four times in verses 8, 9, and 10. And it's the central result of Jonah's message, a changed life, a life that turns from sin and turns toward God. Having heard Jonah's message and having God work in their hearts, this powerful, violent city put on sackcloth and set in ashes, which was uh, an expression of deep contrition and mourning in that culture. The Ninevites were expressing sorrow for their sin and violence and turning to God. And this would have been completely unexpected. And I can't help but think we feel the same way that Jonah did. We don't really think that our words are going to have much power. We don't really think that our loving actions are really going to influence many people. And when they do, we are shocked that it it works. It's almost like if you're like me, you're not buying what you're selling in a lot of ways when it comes to the gospel. But it worked and it was completely unexpected. You see the king takes off his robes. I mean, this doesn't happen. Kings don't repent. Kings don't leave the throne to humble themselves on the ground in dust and ashes. And if we're honest, we don't normally want to leave our thrones either. 
It's hard for us to give up our sense of power, our sense that we're in control. But the message of God's grace has reached us, and that's amazing. This message that Jonah preached has a major impact. It reached large and small. It reached powerful and powerless. This is the fruit of Jonah's message, and it's what we want to see as we start a new church here in San Antonio and attempt to reach our neighbors. We want to see changed lives among us and among our friends and our neighbors. We want to see people experience freedom from sin. We want to see people experience joy in life because they know Jesus. We want people to have hope for what they could be as they follow God's design for their life. These Ninevites were hearing of a God who might have mercy if they turned. So they trusted his gracious character and pled with him to show mercy. God is extending grace to Nineveh just like he did to Jonah. And maybe, just maybe, God wants to extend grace to our friends and neighbors just like he did to us. It's amazing that this bloodthirsty, violent, pagan nation corporately experiences revival and turns to God. It would have been unthinkable to Jonah. Not in his wildest dreams did he imagine this would happen. And it reminds me of something I heard of John Newton once say about how God works. Some of you have heard of John Newton, the English abolitionist and hymn writer. He wrote probably one of the most famous Christian hymns of all time, Amazing Grace. He once said that there are three wonders that he expects to see in heaven, that he expects to witness once he gets to heaven. He said the first wonder that he expects to see is to see a person that he didn't expect to be there. The second is not to see a person he expected to be there. And the third is to be there himself. And he writes Amazing Grace. And God was teaching Jonah a valuable lesson by sending him to the Ninevites and giving him this result. God was teaching Jonah that the gospel is the end of snobbery. It's the end of disdain for those that we think are worse than us, morally, theologically, spiritually. In fact, it's one of the main themes of the book of Jonah, which we'll look at more next week. But it forces us, as we close, to ask a direct and challenging question. And that is, what if God dealt with you the way you're prone to deal with people that annoy you? What if God dealt with you the way you're prone to deal with people that annoy you, with people that are worse than you, with people that don't deserve a second chance? It's a sobering question. Thankfully, God is not like us. And he calls us to be more like him. Do you want to be like God? I hope you do. And if you do, you've got to embrace second chances. Jonah received mercy. We've received mercy. And that mercy belongs to God, not us. And he calls us to move out with this message of second chances to our friends and our neighbors. And don't be surprised if you find that people gravitate to that message. We certainly did. And it's changed our lives. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the way that you pursue wayward sinners, that you pursue those who have no interest in you. Truth be told, we are all those people at some point. Yet you reached us 
likely through another person that simply shared the good news with us. And we pray that you would use us in the same way. Take us to our friends and neighbors to tell them of a God of second chances and the hope that that brings. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.